0: I thought they were pretending to be out of touch. I was really trying, and the kids were like, oh man, it was, it was so hard, man. Oh, it was, it was one of the toughest times for me to speak ever because I'm shouting, and the kids are just like, you are out of sh- shape and out of touch. <laughs> um, if you go ahead and find John chapter 14 in your Bible and just kind of keep your finger there, um, I am, if you didn't gather this by now, if, if you know me, you know that I am an extrovert to the extreme. Uh, there's no introvert inside of me, uh, unless I'm asleep, leave me alone. If I'm not asleep, man, I love connecting with people. I love getting to know people. Uh, I love having coffee. So if you like having coffee, let's get together and have coffee and talk and hang out. Um, and then I love to ask crazy questions just to get to know you. Um, questions like if you had $1 million, if I wrote you a check for $1 million, and you had to spend it uh, all at once on one item, what would you do? Uh, what would you spend it on? It had to be one thing, not like multiple things. You can't buy like a million dollars worth of ramen because that's, that's like a lot. Uh, you, one thing what would it be? Would it be a house? Would it be a car? Would it be a trip? Would it be, I don't know. Um, how about this one? You get one food item the rest of your life. You had, it's not one meal, but one food item to eat for the rest of your life. What is it? Uh, I just spent a week at camp eating camp food, so it's whatever, anything really. Uh, it'll be probably a Chick-fil-A sandwich Uh, extra pickles, I used to not like pickles, but extra pickles, and a slice of American cheese. If you've not done that, you're welcome. Add a slice of American cheese to that. Um, all right, if you have one place, one person to do one thing, what would it be? One famous person, one place to do one thing, what would it be? Me and Al Capone would meet at the golf course and play golf. That would be awesome. Awesome. How about this one? You're going to die in just a few days. You get to choose 12 people. Who would you choose, and what do you say? What 12 people do you choose, and what do you say? Last week, Sasha, who preached for her very first time, she killed it. If you were here, right? Yeah, I'm like, like, what am I even doing here, right? Um, so I was like, I'm leaving. I'm going to camp. <laughs> uh, man, she she killed it. Can you one more time just give it up for Sasha last week preaching? Yeah. She did such a great job. Uh, if you have teenagers, man, they get to experience that all the time, uh, that kind of passion and excitement. So keep them involved and look for – more stuff coming up with the Encounter. But she did a great job ending last week's message with John chapter 13. And if you remember the scene, it is the scene of the Last Supper. All their feet are dirty. Jesus gets up, takes the place of a servant, and washes their feet. It's Jesus, his 12 closest friends. And Jesus knows that in just a couple moments, he's going to be arrested, taken off, embarrassed in front of everyone, crucified, On the cross to suffer. So he's got his 12 friends and he gets one final conversation with them. What does he say? It's in John 14. So, verse one, um, listen to, to how he begins this conversation. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And what began as this conversation around dinner amongst friends has turned and just turned into this somber moment. I'd imagine that there's no joking around unless you're one of the types of people that make jokes at inappropriate moments and you don't know it until after you've done it. Anybody else like that? You'll say something to make everyone laugh and then you're like, Oh, sorry, y'all. And then you got to send an email later to everyone who was there. It's like, sorry for my inappropriate words. I was just trying to be funny and center of attention. All the joking has stopped. All of the liveliness that began with this dinner amongst friends is over. The tone of the night has changed, and even the tone of Jesus changes a little bit. And after he gets up, he dries off his hands. He sits back down amongst his disciples. After he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. After he says, and one of the 12 of you will betray me. And they're all looking at each other like, not me, not me, not me. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus goes from demonstrating uh, his servanthood in chapter 13, predicting the denial of Peter and Judas, his best friends, and now he sets this more intimate tone with his disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. That seems like an impossible task, doesn't it? Do not let your hearts be troubled. And, and although the, Jesus was talking to the disciples only, like there's no one else at this meal, it's just his 12 disciples, I really feel like we can make the same application as well. What if Jesus were to sit on this front step right here and look at you and say, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Huge words, but they pierce through the room. Right? He's, Big, huge words, don't let your hearts be troubled, but almost impossible to apply. Jesus, this sounds great, but there's no way that I can let this, that I can carry this out, especially in this season of my life, or especially after all of those things have happened to me. There's no way that I cannot let my heart be troubled. I can't control if my heart is troubled or not. How in the world am I supposed to do this? And then Jesus follows up with this. Trust in God and trust also in me. Again, really huge words and easy to say, but really hard to obey them. But that's how. If you want your heart to not be troubled, Jesus says, then trust in God and trust also in me. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is how to trust God. When, the, when we as Christians can fully trust God, it's like a safety net. And if you're living the Christian lifestyle correctly, uh, the Christian life is kind of like you feel like you're doing this acrobatic act. That at any moment you're going to fall, but you do your best. Man, trusting God and living the Christian life is like doing all of those things that God asks you to do, but yet there's some safety net underneath. If you want your worry levels to decrease, if you want your anxiety to disappear, then it's going to be the first step is is to trust in God. So so let's talk about trust. One of my favorite verses is uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and it goes like this. If, If you know, you can say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding. and in all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Trusting God uh, this past week. So I'm going to talk just a couple, little bit about camp, because I was there this past week. It's almost as if I wrote the sermon while at camp, I don't know. Um, but I took my six-year-old son to a middle school week at camp. He is, this week of camp is not for him. But when you're six years old, everything is for you. And when we start the week, man, he stays right by me. My my son is not a social butterfly until he is. Right, until he knows everyone and feels comfortable. And so we get there on Monday, and he's sitting right next to me, and people are talking to him, and he, like, leans over into me, not communicate. Uh, Monday, and then Tuesday, he starts to get a little more, more comfortable. There's this sweet little boy. His name is James, and he took Bone under his wing and, like, took him around with Shoney and playing all the games. And then Wednesday, Bone wanted nothing to do with James because he had all the girls. <clears throat> I was, it was me and Bone. we were sitting on a hill, and we were FaceTiming his mom. And so he comes over. He's over my shoulder, and we're talking to his mom and sister who, who are still here in Jacksonville. And there's this group over here, and it's a group of girls and a boy. And Bone walks over. He tells them a joke. This is my joke he tells them. Uh, what does a snowman, when a snowman, hold on. Okay, look, I'm over here telling a joke, all right? Uh, oh, a vampire and a snowman have a baby. What's, what's his name? Frostbite. And so he goes over, delivers the joke, comes over. He's so proud. He tells me that he to- tells him the joke. And then he's just like hovering around the group. They're all sitting in a circle. Then the boy gets up and walks away. Bone goes and sits in his spot. I was so proud of him. He's like, my dude. But he, listen, this six-year-old boy did not hear no from anybody all week. He would walk up to a game, carpet balls, all the rage at Christian camp. Bible, Christian Camp is a little weird. It's awesome. It's impactful. It's it's like one of the highlights like of my youth ministry. I love being it's just a strange place, I'll just say it. Especially with middle schoolers. But Bowen would walk up, canteen, it's like two times a day. These deans are crazy, because we'd have it, usually you do it after lunch and after dinner, just to get your blood sugar high enough to end the day. They did it after dinner and at 9.15 p.m. My son asked me on the way home, Hey, can we have canteen at our house? Like, just create a little stand in the backyard? I was like, What the? He would walk up, the line is out the pavilion, and he'd just walk up and be like, Can I get in front? And all the kids were like, Oh, of course. <laughs> There'd be a line out the, like, uh, for carpet ball, which was the game. And Bowen would just walk up to the front and get in front of the girl like this and just stand there. Do they make a big deal? No. they're like, Oh, he cut us all. He is so cute. He didn't hear no all week, right? And so uh, we get to dinner on Wednesday. I put four green beans in front of him. My six-year-old says, no, I don't want those. <laughs> Do you want canteen later? Then you're going to eat those green beans. And I don't know if y'all are raising negotiators, but I am. And he says, how how about this? No, 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 how about this? How about this? Eat the green beans or, yeah, eat the green beans. (laughs) Here's here's why I I tell you a story about trust. He ate the green beans, okay, just so y'all know who runs our house. (laughs) He ate the green beans, um, and I made him eat the green beans. Did he want the green beans? No. But why did I make him eat it? Because I know what's best for him. These middle school students, they don't know what's best for him. He should have learned to wait in line. And if, if I had any energy left, I would have gotten up and forced that, but I had none. Uh, he, man, he, he needed to eat those green beans because that's what's best for him, and I know what's best for him, even when he doesn't like it. And at some point soon, I'm going to have to explain to him, listen, when I make you do things you don't like to You need to trust me that I have your best interest at heart when you do these things. I think in our relationship with God, what would really help us is to understand that we've got to trust God when things are good. It's easy to trust God when things are good. Lord, thank you for all these things. But when things going crazy in your life, when things are chaotic, can you then trust God to say, God, you know what's best for me? this sucks. I hate green beans. But you know what's best for me. Trust. Man, it's, it's difficult. It's easy to talk about, but it's difficult to pursue. Um, I spoke five times this week, and uh, my favorite part, one of my favorite sermons is I talk about how to love God. Middle school students, they get all these views of what love looks like, right? And it just doesn't match up with what it talks about how to love God. So this is what I do. I asked one girl, uh, there was one girl in particular, I said, hey, would you come up and teach us how to make cookies? And she's, she's like, yeah, I'd love to. So she comes up, I give her the microphone, it's this big deal, I got a whiteboard, and I write how to make cookies at the top. And she says, all right, first of all, you go to Walmart. And I was like, all right, look, we ain't got to do all that. Let's just imagine we've already been to Walmart, we have all things. She said, no, 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 you go to Walmart, you find the, the ones that have the ghosts on them, you bring them back, I said, sit down. Then another girl comes up. She has a two-day process that includes espresso and letting it chill. And she's 11 and in the refrigerator. And when you finish step 1 to 12, or whatever it is, you have cookies every time. No matter what, you have cookies. Whether you like them or you don't, you have cookies. So then I ask all the students, who's the boy in here with the most, this is a word, swag? Okay? And they all point back to this group of really disrespectful teenage boys uh, parents, raise your boys to be respectful to adults. And they sat in the back just like this. You know, like they were, I called them the too, school, too cool for school crew. And uh, so I, I said, um, all right, who's the boy with the most swag? And they all pointed at this boy. And I was like, come on up here. And he's like, no. I was like, come up here. He's like, no. I was like, oh, any girls want to teach these boys how to love them? Some girl just runs up. Now, the emotions of middle school girls, it is something. The smell of middle school boys, which we learned last week, and the emotion of middle school girls. So I said, hey, why don't you come up here, teach all the boys how to to fall in love, how to get them, how to get you to fall in love with them. Y'all, we didn't, we made it to step 24 and we still hadn't gotten anywhere. And the point is, love, falling in love is not a straight line. There is not a step one to 12 like it is with making cookies, but falling in love We all have different paths. We've all had different journeys. But no matter what, every time I've ever done that illustration, do you know what one of the top three ingredients of falling in love is? Every time. It's trust. You cannot love someone that you don't trust. Um. So in order to love God, we've got to be able to trust In this passage, passage in John 14 that we're going to go through, we're going to go through it quickly, uh, five times in this text, only five times, now there's a lot of verbs, but five times Jesus gives his disciples commands. We've already looked at two. Uh, um, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Those are two commandments. Um, and so we're going to look at the next three. And if we want to be disciples of Christ, we've got to look at these next three. So can you look at your Bible again? We're going to look at verse 8, uh, John chapter 14, verse 8. You're going to look for the next command that Jesus gives to his disciples. <clears throat> Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, that we will, um, and that will be enough for us. Just remember that Philip said that. Jesus answered, do you, not, do you know me, Philip? Even after I I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. That's important that Jesus said to Philip. We'll talk about it in a second. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. There's a lot of verbs in that section. You guys know I'm, and you should be too when you read, looking for like the grammar and all of that. There's a lot of verbs in this section, but only only one command. What was the command that Jesus gave to his disciples? It's in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus just wants them to believe that he is who he says he is. And I think it's interesting that Jesus has this conversation with Philip. He says, uh, Philip tells Jesus, Jesus just do a miracle and we will believe that the Father is in you. Do you remember in John chapter 6, there's a great huge crowd around. Jesus is teaching, they're in the city Called Bethsaida. It's where Philip is from. And Jesus is teaching, he's got this huge crowd, about 5,000, right? And it's time for lunch. And Jesus says to Philip, Philip, or they say to Jesus, um, the, the, all these people need to eat, send them to town. And Jesus, is like, just have them sit down. And then he says to Philip, Philip, how are we gonna feed these people? Now, why does Jesus ask Philip in John 6? Because Philip is from Bethsaida. Be like you and I being in my hometown, and you're like, hey, where are we going to eat lunch? And I would say we're going to go to Dixie Chili. So Jesus asks Philip, and Philip's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. And Jesus is like, you're right, you don't know. I got this. And he feeds 5,000 people. And here we are just, what, eight chapters later, and he's asking for Jesus to do a miracle to prove that he is God. Doesn't that remind you of us? Hey, God, can you just show me you're here? He's like, what about the last time you asked me or the time before that? Or what about all the other blessings that that I've given you? Can't you just for a moment rest in those? Uh, Me and Philip are a lot alike in this scene. Um, One of the keys that Jesus is trying to teach Philip is a lesson that we all should learn when it comes to trust. There are two uh, main components that make up trust, and the first one is belief. One of the things that will break up trust real quick is lying. you got to be able to believe what someone says, right? When you walk up to introduce yourself, you put your hand out and you say, and, and the person will say, hey, my name is Timothy. And what do you say to Timothy? Prove it. Let me see your ID. Bring me three more people, three references that will call you Timothy without you telling them beforehand. No, we don't. We don't. We say, hey, I'm Timothy, and say, hey, I'm Roger, nice to meet you. Now, later on, if you find out it's not Timothy, you can't trust him. But all of our relationships that have trust are built on belief, that we believe what each other says. Look, if you want to trust God, if, if you want to have if you don't want your heart to be troubled, if you want to trust in God and trust also in Jesus, then we have got to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We're not begging Jesus to prove it, although sometimes we do with our desperate prayers and desperate times and desperate places. But we need to read scripture and believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are, and because of that, I'm going to trust you with my life. So belief is the first thing. Let's, let's look and see the fourth command that Jesus gives in this passage. Look at verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you uh, and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. That, that's the Holy Spirit. The, Lord cannot, or the world cannot accept him because it neither, it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he, leaves, he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will, s- will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever uh, has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then there's this Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the one who betrays him, but another Judas. He says, but, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My Father will love them, and, he will, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you, you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. A lot of verses, but did you notice what the command was? He gives it twice. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That command comes with a a condition, did you catch the condition? It's the if. If you love me, you will keep my commands, which has an opposite. If you don't love me, you won't keep my commands. Hey, based on your life right now and your obedience to Jesus, just looking at, at how you live, would someone say that you love Jesus or not? Belief is the first uh, component of trust. The second one is trusting Jesus. The second obedience, or the second component is obedience. This is what separates Judas Iscariot, the one who will betray him from the rest of the disciples. Judas believes that Jesus is who he says he is. I mean, that's why he betrayed Jesus, gave them 30 pieces of silver, because he was delivering over to them the one to be killed. Judas has been there for all the miracles. He's seen the signs that Jesus performed. But Judas try, just decides not to live a life of obedience. Obedience is a huge part of trusting Jesus. I, I want you to notice two more things in that, that section that we just read. The other Judas asks a, a really specific question. He says, well, how will the rest of the world know you? I mean, Jesus is going to go and Judas, this other Judas, his Worry is the rest of the world is not going to know you. How are they going to know who you are? Did you see Jesus' reply? He doesn't quite answer the question specifically, but he replies with the command. Jesus, how will the rest of the world know you? You've shown yourself to us, but not to them. How will they know you? And Jesus replies, they will know you because you will keep my commands. The rest of the world will know who Jesus is based on our obedience to who He is. Based on if we love Him and keep His commands. You want Jacksonville to change? Keep Jesus' commands. Do you want your marriage to change? Keep Jesus' commands. You want your family to change? Keep Jesus' commands. Not so that you can have a list, a checklist of keeping Jesus' commands, but it's so that they can see that you love Jesus and they can see Jesus' love through us. The second, uh, hey, I'm going to add this. I didn't say this in the first service. You, I, we, this group, I mean, the all of Restore Church, we need to buckle up. Because I just have this feeling that this 2020 election is going to be, like, worse than 2016. You want to know how the world is going to know who Jesus is? The way that we keep his commands and love one another. Not divide each other. All right. That's nothing, but you're going to hear that a thousand more times before 2020 election and probably after. So just... Love each other and don't argue on Facebook. Hey, if you want to argue over politics, that's probably something good worth, like, talking about. Do it over a cup of coffee, okay? You won't say half the things you would say over a cup of coffee you would behind a keyboard. Am I right? I don't know. Here's a second thing to notice, and this is really important. This is really cool. Every time Jesus mentions our obedience in that passage he also mentions something else every time. Not just something else, but someone else, the Holy Spirit. Every time Jesus talks about our obedience, he talks about an advocate that's coming. He talks about a helper, the spirit of truth. And I got to tell you, I mean, you already know this. The world does not want us to be obedient to Jesus. They, the world does not want you, we were talking about, uh, me and a friend of mine we were talking about this morning, the world does not want you to be obedient to Christ with your finances. They want you to go get a new car and take on more debt so that you can keep up with your neighbors, right? The world does not want you to keep your marriage going, right? They throw all these other things in your face that will spice up your marriage, and, and, and no one will really know if you just use this style of app or whatever it is. Like, the world does not want you to be obedient to Christ. And probably in our inner desires, like our inner flesh, it is so difficult to be obedient to Christ all the time. Right? So we need a helper. We need the Holy Spirit that's not only around us, but Jesus says, but will be in you at the time that we give our lives to Christ. The obedience part of our trust is what separates us from the world. It, it's what makes us Christ followers. James says it like this Do you believe in God? Good. He says, Even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Then he goes on to say, If you've got faith, but you don't have obedience with it, if you have faith, but you're not proving it, your faith is useless, it's, it's dead. We have to have obedience with our faith. We have to have belief in God and obedience together to show that we trust God. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you going to believe that God has your best interests at heart? Are you going to trust him with your finances? Like, I, look, I get it. I know. You're trying to decide between paying your phone bill and buying diapers. Right? I know how tight it is. But do you believe that God has your best interest at heart when he says, "Give to me your first fruits and I will bless you 10 times more than that." Now listen, we're not a prosperity church. I'm not telling you you're going to be rich because you won't be. Well, you might be if you're good at your job. That's how you get rich and be responsible with your finances. Not putting $10 back there and you're going to get $10,000. That's not going to work. But if you do then tithe of that $10,000 and see what else happens. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding, but I am. Um, No, we need to trust God even when it doesn't come back as what we consider a blessing. We got to believe that God has our best will or our best intentions at heart. Or or maybe God's moving in you to, to start teaching in a capacity here at Restore. In a month or so, we're going to start asking for new life group leaders. And some of you have been in a life group since the beginning. It's time for you to step out and lead one. But you're scared, and I get it. But maybe it's time to take that step out, or maybe it's teaching in the village, or maybe it's playing in the band, or maybe it's being a part of the hospitality team. Or maybe it's time for you to believe that God has your best interest at heart and that you give your whole entire life to him. Some of you, it's, it's time for you to get baptized. Or, or maybe it's time for you to start taking your faith seriously and living every day as if it mattered. So how are you going to start pairing belief and obedience together? Because they have to be together. Belief without obedience is hypocrisy. Belief without obedience, you should tweet that. Belief without obedience is hypocrisy. Obedience, without belief, at its best, is just humanitarian effort. You are only a philanthropist. They have to be together for it to be trust in Jesus. Look at verse 27. This is great. Peace I leave with you. <clears throat> My peace I give you. I, give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Listen to what he says again. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. That's the last command, the fifth command in this passage, and it sounds a whole lot like the first. Moments later. So at the end of this chapter, we're going to start next week's sermon with this verse, but it's at the end of this chapter, they're at dinner, right? They just finished the washing, they finished the last supper, and Jesus tells his disciples, let us leave now. And they walk along and they teach John 15. Read John 15 this week. They're walking along and Jesus is teaching. And they get to John 16 and they're in the garden of Gethsemane. John chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself, for the disciples, and for us. And then later in that chapter and in John 18, he gets arrested to take to the cross. And he knows that. And so in his final words, what does he say to his disciples? How does he get his disciples prepared for this chaos? You know what happens after that? Jesus dies on the cross. His disciples scatter. They come back to Jerusalem. Beginning of Acts, uh, the Holy Spirit shows up. The beginning of the church starts. And then their life gets easy because they gave their life to Jesus. No. No. Their life gets extremely difficult, and actually every disciple will die on behalf of Christ. How does he prepare his his disciples for that? He's like, I want to give you peace. Peace is what I want to give to you. Peace is what I want to leave with you. Not as the world talks about giving you things, but I want to give you my peace everlasting. Who doesn't want that? In the middle of chaos, we look for peace. You can't watch the news anymore without wanting to turn it off. We're not surprised anymore when we turn on the TV and yet another shooting has occurred. Last night we were in our living room and my mother-in-law was visiting. And she, uh, she lives in the Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Virginia area. And she was talking about some things her church was doing for the uh, victims of the shooting um, just, what, last month? Has it even been that long? But how quickly was it out of our news cycle? Man, it's just because we're so used to it. And I had even forgotten as as she's telling me the story, I was remembering like, man, there are families still feeling the weight of what happened, and the rest of the world has moved on. about divorce? Maybe that's hit your family, or maybe it's on the horizon in your relationship. Don't you want peace in the middle of that? Maybe it's cancer in your family, or disease and sickness. And Jesus says, I want to give you my peace. For for the disciples, it's going to be persecution, and potentially the end of their life. And Jesus says, I want to give you peace. I, I don't I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but hurricane season is right around the corner. And uh, we are just, I mean, like, New Bern, Jacksonville, Wilmington, everyone in between. We're just now getting on our feet from hurricane season last year. And some of you are still, like, feeling the effects of last year's hurricanes. And, man, I know some people have so much anxiety about this year. Don't you want peace going into the season? Look, following Jesus doesn't take care of all of these issues. It just gives us peace in the middle of them. Jesus has his disciples. He's leaving them with one last thing. Let's go back and read the beginning verses that we skipped. Because I know some of you are like, he skipped some because he don't want to talk about those verses. No, no, no. Listen, I just want to talk about them last. Because you want to know how we have peace in the middle of all this? Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you also may be Where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except for me. How can you have peace in the middle of chaos? How can you have peace in the middle of, of death or in the middle of another hurricane or in the middle of cancer or sickness, divorce, all of that stuff? It's because there is a room that's waiting for you. If you've given your life to Jesus, you know that this is not all there is. That there is something next. For those of us who trust in Jesus, we know that there is a room for us, one that cannot be taken away, a room that awaits the faithful as long as we trust in God and trust in Jesus, believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and we live a life like it. Uh, years ago, I heard a story about a young pastor and his family and their son was, was very sick. And they, they knew that he didn't have very much time left. And every night, the, the pastor and his wife would sit beside his bed and pray. They would pray for a miracle. They would pray for healing. They would pray for their son to live. One night, the, the son asked the dad, Dad, Daddy, what does it feel like to die? The young pastor stepped back. He, he prayed for courage for a moment. And as he choked back tears, he said, You know, son, some nights you, you watch TV on the couch and you fall asleep. And and you don't know it, but when you're asleep, I pick you up and I carry you back and I place you in your bed, in the room that that I built for you with my own hands. He said, one day you're going to fall asleep here on this earth. But it's not going to be me who picks you up. It's going to be Jesus. And he's going to pick you up and he's going to take you to a special room that he created just for you. You know how you can have peace? It's because Jesus died on a cross. He went into a tomb and was there for three days, and then he walked out. And I believe that. I believe that he is who he says he is. And because we're obedient to him, one day we're going to see the resurrection of our own lives. And we're going to be ushered into that room that Jesus has prepared for us. Peace, Jesus gives to you. Look, don't let your hearts be troubled. Just trust in your Father. And trust also in Jesus. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. God, we believe, we believe in you. We believe that Jesus is coming again. We believe that there is a room that awaits us. In the middle of our turmoil, in the middle of hardship, maybe it's just on the horizon like it was for Jesus, God, let our hearts not be troubled because we trust you that you have our best interest at heart you want what's best for us and even when we don't like it because one day God we will be in your presence forever there will be no more suffering there will be no more tears just you and us God help us to remember that help us to remember that we don't have to figure it all out you already have Help us to remember that it doesn't quite rely on us. It all relies on you. Help us to remember that what has been done has been done. In Christ, you are seated on your throne. We believe you are who you say you are. Help us with the Holy Spirit to act like it. I pray that the whole world and all of Jacksonville will know who you are because of the way we love each other and the way that we love you. There are some of us in here who just need to hear peace. That you want us to have peace. There are some of us in here, God, that we just need to hear that, that you've prepared a place for us. It can't be taken away. So God, help us Help us to to focus on that, God, through your Holy Spirit, your advocate and your helper. Help us. Just as Jesus said, all the things that are prayed in your and his name will be given. God, give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen.